Okay, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, welcome to episode number two. Uh, we are going to be talking with Stephen Cousins, and we're going to be talking about the PRO Act uh, today. So I'm going to go ahead and kick it across to uh, uh, Chris Sharp uh, to uh, introduce Stephen. Thanks, Mike. Um, as Mike said, you know, second episode, we're, we're excited to get this thing rolling. So uh, our guest today is Stephen Cousins um, with the National AFL-CIO, um, director, I believe, of the Central Region of the National. Uh, Stephen Cousins, uh, a little bit of background, life in the labor movement began at 18, working in the uh, integrated metal technologies plant for Herman Miller with the United Steelworkers. At 24, Stephen began organizing home care workers with the Service Employees International Union, otherwise known as SEIU. Uh, since then, he's organized thousands of home care, hospital, and nursing home workers in the SEIU across the country and in his home state of Michigan. Uh, Steve's also worked to raise industry standards through collective action, helping janitors and airport workers in Colorado and nursing home workers in Michigan uh, win a $15 minimum wage, uh, holding not-for-profit hospitals accountable to their workers and the communities they're supposed to serve you know, during the large contract disputes and, and working to create pathways to sustainable careers in healthcare through registered apprenticeship. Uh, Stephen also is a member of the American Federation of Musicians, Local 184. So, Steve, we appreciate your time and being here, brother. And if you want to go right ahead. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks, guys, for having Hopefully me. Hopefully that uh, capped it off pretty well. That's beautiful, man. It's beautiful. You're making me blush. It's a lot of stuff in there. Um, now, I, I appreciate the time, guys. I, I, um, I'm really excited to, to be able to talk about this. I, you know... This is this. It's very rare that you get the opportunity to do something that you love for a living. Um, but then also, uh, in addition to that regular day to day thing that I've been able to do, um, all the stuff that you were talking about, I've got the opportunity. We all have the opportunity right now together to do something that's going to impact the country. And and by you know by proxy of doing that, you, you impact the country. In the United States, you impact the world in a completely different way with the Pro Act. Um, and like when I was just an eighteen year old kid building filing cabinets in Muskegon, uh, thinking I was living the greatest life on earth, working the 2.30 to 10.30 shift, man, and making union bucks. Uh, um, you know, the 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 opportunity to do something that, that's akin to what my great-grandpa and, and, and all the guys that sat down in Flint in 1937 did is, is something that I don't take, I don't take that lightly, and, and we're at that moment. So I appreciate you guys carving out some time for me today. No, We'd love to have you. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Mike. No, I was just saying we, we, we love to have you. We want to educate uh, um, not just Monroe, but uh, our surrounding areas and, and the country on things that uh, organized labor is doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, we had had some conversation about what we want to touch base on, you know, in between these individual podcasts. And I think, you know, things that are right front and center in front of us that help organized labor is, is something we all agree we want to do. So with the PRO Act, um, for people that don't know, it's Protect the Right to Organize. PRO is an acronym. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of moving parts uh, to it. Um, the minutia behind it is something we probably won't get into right now. Um, but, Steve, in your uh, time with organizing, maybe you can touch base on why it's important to protect the right to organize and how it can help people that currently are not. Sure. Yeah, I think the, the you know, the, the with any piece of legislation like this, there's all this insider baseball and a lot of words that, um, that, that mean different things to different people. But the, the critical thing for people to realize about the PRO Act is that for the first time since the 1930s, it represents a fundamental shift in power between working people and corporations in this country. Um, and, you know, we've been on a, on a kind of a downward trajectory um, uh, in the last 50, 60 years as that, as that you know, as regards that. And this is, this is something that completely turns it around. Uh, the fundamental way that it does that is that it actually holds companies accountable 
when they bust the law, uh, when they hurt people. Um, but it also makes the choice to join a union truly democratic, which it hasn't been in a very, very long time. Uh, and every kind of iteration of, of labor law reform or change that's happened uh, that's that's against workers over the last 60 years has been something that's been you know real real easy yet you've seen every single mechanism of of, of governmental power rolled out to stop anything that's positive for working people as it, as it relates to this so the pro act i think it's it's a fundamental like you can't you can't really undersell it. It's just, it's a fundamental game changer. Um, and I think that the most important parts uh, of, of what it actually does uh, in terms of how it's going to impact working families are that, number one, it, it, like, it actually makes companies pay when they hurt people. Uh, as of now, there's really no motivation for a company to not hurt somebody uh, when they're trying to form the union or when they're fighting or when they're going out on strike because like, there's no penalty for it. Uh, it's the only place in our country where you can break the law and... The remedy is you, you have to say sorry on a little piece of paper and then you stick it up next to the coffee pot. Um, so there's that. Uh, and then the other major change is that it stops the company from being able to lean in and put their finger on the scale and, and scare people into not joining the union. That's the other big piece of it. Um, and, you know, I remember I, I th I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, but like through my life and my time in the union, I've seen I've seen so many times where where just one little change would have would have would have completely turned around, you know, a union election, right? When people were trying to join the union, or that one little contract fight, and that has a ripple effect going on that cascades and, and, and changes people's lives. The, the first the first union campaign I ever worked on, um, I was organizing a hospital, and uh, and uh, this is just like typical nastiness. The two days before Christmas on December twenty third, three members of my bargaining committee got clipped, right? Uh, and they walked uh, walked him out with security, did this whole nasty thing. You, you file board charges. It's about two weeks before the election. Um, I, I ended up filing that election. 67% of the workers wanted you know wanted the union, signed a union card. Um, and I ended up losing that thing. And, and looking back on it in retrospect, there's so many things I could have done differently. But it was my first campaign. Um, and I lost by like 20 or 30 votes. It was pretty darn close. And that was the turning point was when these workers got walked out. And so, you know, there it was a, a healthcare. There were PCAs that, that got walked out of the building. I was able to get them a job down the street at a nursing home, a CNA. And they were making actually, I think, two bucks an hour more at the nursing home than they were making at the hospital when they got fired. Um, so we filed the board charges, right? Took it to the NLRA. Did all that stuff. The, the board's like, yeah, no, this is pretty obvious. You know, we, we win. We give the people their job back, right? So they, they end up doing all the math. And, and the way the law is right now, they fire the person. The person goes and makes any more money. All they have to pay them is the difference in what the person was making to what they would have made if they were working at the place before. Since the person was making $2 an hour more, literally all they had to do was say, we're sorry that we fired you. We're sorry that we upended your life, had you go somewhere else. And they didn't owe the person any money. And I can't even remember if that worker went back into the shop or not. But by then, you know, the union union had, had lost. We'd lost the election there. Um, and the workers there, you know, didn't have didn't didn't have a voice. And so uh, so that's one of the fundamental things that would change with the with the pro act now if it passes uh, what we're looking at is that worker 
not only would get the you know the money that they were making at their other job, but like they'd get paid for the fact that they had to to change their entire life. There would be a penalty. The hospital would actually have to go and cough up some money, and and not have no motivation uh, to to terminate a worker for no real reason. And it's just one of those like it's one of the it was to me that was the one of the most disheartening things I've ever experienced in my life was looking that worker in the eye after after we won and being like, okay, what's this mean? And having to say nothing. It means you can go, you can go wear purple scrubs at the hospital instead of the blue scrubs at the nursing home tomorrow. Um, and uh, and and that's the that's the thing, the fundamental thing that this changes. And I know that like all this stuff happens behind the scenes, but that's the that's the major difference that we're dealing with here. Um, uh, and it's those little tiny stories where this like this legal stuff that the Pro Act changes. That's where it like actually impacts human beings' lives, right? This is like this was a woman who took care of her grandkids, right? So anything that like changed her life um, impacted three generations inside her family, um, and it, you know it. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget that. Like that's just one of the things that that stays with you. And so I have the opportunity to change that fundamentally is uh, is something that I take pretty darn seriously. No, that's, that's some that's, profound stuff, brother. Yeah. That, that's really crazy to me that uh, somebody could be walked out because they want to um, they want to bring a union in. So they're walked out, they're fired, and uh, there's no real uh, clawback uh, for the employees. It's just, oh, I'm sorry, here, here you can have a job back now. Yeah, it was. It's horrible. I won. Like I won the charge. I was like all happy, and then I started. We started thinking about it, and we're like, okay. So what did we actually win? You get to go back to this place that that broke the law to get you out of the building, and that's it. That was literally it. It was. It was. It was infuriating. Wow. So, uh, so you talked a little bit about the National Labor Relations Act and going to the board about uh, fighting some of the the problems. Uh, that we currently face if uh, the employees want to uh, have a union in inside their uh, their establishment. But, uh, you know, I believe there's been some uh, studies and some surveys done that uh, almost half of all non-union uh, workers would join a union if given the opportunity. Um, is, is that what you're experiencing in the field? Yeah, yeah, even more so. I think the um, there are there are sixty million people tomorrow that if they had the opportunity to sign up and join a union would do it. Um, yet, if you look at the numbers, I think it's right around eleven percent of the country has a union, um, and that's just that's that's fundamentally problematic. And that just goes to show that the system is rigged against people that want to have a voice at work. Um, and I would say that in the last twelve months, as, as somebody who spent their like, you know, their whole life basically. Um, talking to people about wanting the union uh, and helping people figure out how to how to use their collective power to make things better at work. I've, I haven't felt anything like I felt in the last three years specifically. Um, uh, and, and, and then in the last 12 months, uh, even more so to put a fine point on it. Uh, two years ago, three years ago, um, uh, when uh, when uh, General Motors went on strike, uh, that year more workers went on strike than than at any time since I think it was 1986 or 85, but the the middle of the 1980s, at the height of the of the of the war on unions at that time. Um, and then that next year, that year, the year after that, you started to see unions growing again. Uh, and last year was the most powerful wave of of union activity that I've seen in my entire life, and it was this really innovative stuff. Like there's 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 um, 
you had workers, uh, you had workers doing walkouts and pickets and, and organizing just to like set up to set up barriers and meatpacking plants to be six feet apart so they're not sneezing on each other and bringing bringing COVID home uh, to three generations of families living in the same house. It's like you, you had that stuff happening. You have this crazy, like, displaced workers in, in Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota, um, uh, ran, like, just on a whim, hot shop organizing uh, distilleries across the city in an industry that had no union presence until last year. Uh, and people are just thinking really creatively about how how to how to fundamentally change their power dynamics uh, at work and and to do something that like creates a sustainable job for their families um, and it's it's like there's literally you're feeling it right now in Amazon uh, where where you've got this I mean it's funny the, the it's not funny at all um, but it's the it reminds me of of the stories that my grandpa used to tell me um, of when they were organizing at GM and Ford. Um, but the level of, of intense pressure on those workers and the courage that they're showing in the face of all that uh, to stand up and, and push back on the, the, the richest company in the world, and the richest person in the world. Um, I mean, the dude wants to put like human beings on Mars, uh, but doesn't want to give his people the chance to go to the bathroom. It's insane. Um, that's that's what's that's what we're in right now. And the PRO Act is is both, uh, you know, I think uh, the reason that we're talking about the PRO Act is because of that energy, um, but it's also because of the work that the labor movement has done to to offer a solution. Um, and if we've seen anything in the last four years, you know, uh, longer than that, the last 20 years, it's that working people in this country are very, very frustrated uh, with, uh, with, with the continuing trajectory of rich getting richer and us, us making less money. Uh, and, and that's manifesting itself in some scary ways, but also a lot of positive ways. So the PRO Act, I think, is, is, is both a, a symptom of that, of that frustration and a recognition that the world needs to change uh, and our country needs to change. But I also think that it, it's an opportunity uh, for us to give working people an answer um, that isn't nasty. Uh, and that is something that actually, you know, unites people rather than splitting them apart. So um, so that's the that's I think the PRO Act is 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 both endemic of like what's happening out there and is happening because of what's happening out there and and that's why i think it's so critical like we've got like a like a 14 month window maybe less than that you know we've got a year to get this thing done um before uh before you know because this momentum is happening and if we don't take advantage of it now shame on us um but i think that puts us in a really scary position if we're not able to do that uh over the next you know the rest of our lives at least so i think a lot of uh a lot of folks would like to know um, because it appears that, uh, that people are more woke, right? That uh, that they realize that the playing field is not fair, and that there is a wage gap between um, those who have a union and those do, who do not, and uh, that that number is not going up, right? So, how would this help to level the playing field, shrink the wage gap, and bring fairness to the workplace between? Um, you know, whether you're, whether you're a female or you're a minority, we, we want to make sure that everybody, if you're hours worked as hours worked, I don't care what color you are or what faith you are, or, um, whether you're male or female, we want you to make the exact same amount of money. Right. That's right. I think the, um, that's the most important thing about the pro act and is that, you know, it's, it does a lot of things in terms of labor law, but it's not 
just a labor law reform package. It's civil rights legislation. It's it's gender equity legislation. Um, it's it's all of those things in one. The a, a union member that does the exact same job as a person that you know that doesn't have a union makes on average eleven point eight percent more than that other person for doing that work. Right. That's off the top. If you take African American workers, Latino workers, and women workers, those numbers increase exponentially. It's an additional thirteen and a half or something percent for African American workers, an additional twenty some percent for uh, for Latino workers, an additional almost 6% for women workers. Um, and that's because a union contract is the only way to guarantee uh, that workers, no matter no matter what you know what they look like, who they are, um, that they're paid the same for the work that they're doing. Uh, and so the two things that the that the PRO Act does uh, to impact that most directly are first, uh, it fixes this major problem that we have in this country of workers, uh, worker misclassification. Uh, and so they don't even have access to a union. There's a shocking amount of workers out there uh, that don't even have access. They can't even form a union if they want to. Um, and, and that's just terrifying to me that that's the case. Uh, and then secondly, it eliminates a lot of barriers to them being able to unite together to form a union now that they have access to a union to be able to, to, to bargain for their own rights and to be able to get that. So like, and if you look at the, the history of our country, uh, the, a lot of the folks that have been carved out of the right to join a union um, are, are folks that, you know, that, that are in those categories that face other structural barriers to success in this country. Um, and, uh, and so you've got like domestic workers that have been carved out who are, who are almost always women and almost always, you know, women of color in those circumstances and, uh, farm workers, you know, but the list goes on and on. If you see everybody who's been carved out of the system, uh, it's, it's usually, it's usually workers that face structural barriers, uh, to, to accessing like a good job in other places. Um, so those are the two most immediate ways that, that I think that the, the PRO Act does that. But I think it's really critical that like we, we view it that way. Uh, it's not just changing labor laws because things like binding arbitration are really, really important. Don't get me wrong. But the most important thing in the country is that people have a voice on the job uh, and that they have protections uh, and that they, they're, able to, they're able to stand together uh, and harness the power of working people more broadly so that we're not going in there and piecemealing each other. Um, and as soon as that happens, like you just see people make more money and you see people make the same money. It's, it's not that crazy. Uh, and it makes sense, which is why they spend so much money against it. So it's a it's a powerful uh, piece of legislation, and uh, you know I I, I know uh, many of us uh, around the country um, in the last uh, last decade have faced uh, right to work laws. Uh, would would the Pro Act affect uh, right to work laws at all? Yeah, one of the the important pieces about the PRO Act isn't just what's in it, it's it's what it actually is intended to do, and that's to create a federal floor for, for labor law in this country. So, you know, right now there's there's federal laws um, uh, and, and states can make up stuff that goes around them, like right to work is something that happens uh, in some states, not others, but it's up to the state to decide. What the PRO Act would do is that it would it would create a federal floor so that, it, you know, you can't go underneath where, where the rest of the country is at in terms of labor standards. It, specific to right to work, what it would do is, is it would create uh, a national system of, of if you if you benefit from a collective bargaining agreement, you got to pay for the benefit. 
that's that's all it is. But you know, it, it's it's you have to pay your fair share into the system if you have a collective bargaining agreement. Um, and so it would it would undo right to work across the country, um, which you know is I don't know if you guys saw this, but the the governor from West Virginia uh, said the thing that you're not supposed to say out loud, right? Uh, and he said uh, publicly, like did a video about this thing. We did right to work. The jobs didn't come. Like we, we, we did all of this stuff. We limited public sector collective bargaining. The jobs didn't come. And he said all that because he was trying to tee up a big, you know, a big corporate tax cut. But like he said the part out loud that you're not supposed to say out loud. Um, and and so, you know, that lived experience that people have seen with the erosion of working conditions in so-called right to work states, it would be gone. It would be gone forever. And that would like be a fundamental change like overnight in Michigan. Um, you would see you would see tens of thousands of dollars flowing into, you know, the, the corner bar and the corner grocery store and the dry cleaner and everywhere that we shop. It's like every job. Yeah, I remember this this number coming out during the uh, during the the uh, the last uh, General Motors strike was that, you know, for every every job, there's like 200,000 jobs that are peripheral jobs that are wraparound jobs that uh, that are created. Um, by every general by by those general motors jobs so it's like it just it goes above and above and above uh within our community when folks have access to to uh to that kind of stuff so um but yeah right to work like day one it becomes a thing that's illegal yeah that, that that's inherently important to uh to a lot of the states in our surrounding area in, in the midwest i mean um, some states have had uh success at defeating the right to work uh, for less laws, and I, I think that we cla- we have to classify that um, with those terms. Uh, that uh, you know, this doesn't give us any more power. This actually just uh, allows us to make uh, less at work. And uh, you know, we want to make sure that that the that the playing field is level, and that we have an opportunity to bargain over um, all of our um, benefits that uh, that everybody would like to enjoy, right? And so, so does this does this put any time limits on like a first agreement? I know we've had uh, several um, organizing campaigns uh, in our area. We're we're fortunate that uh, the city of Monroe. I don't know if you saw U.S. News mm-hmm. and World Reports, uh, December uh, two thousand nineteen. Uh, city of Monroe is actually twenty five. It's our union density is twenty five point eight percent. The fourth fourth union dense city in the United States, which is which is great. Um, but that uh, certainly can be turned around pretty rapidly, as as we know, as, uh, you know, even Chris's family and, and his membership, right, UAW 723, um, they represented the Monroe Ford plant that uh, no longer exists, right, Chris? That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And it took a big hit, you know, uh, to our town when they shut that down. I mean, it's, it's open now um, as a warehouse. I think it at its height, it had about 2,500 members in that plant alone. Uh, currently, I believe it has 16. Um, so it, it, it might as well be non-existent. I mean, it's it's there for the people that have the, the fortunate ability to still work there because you're making big three wages uh, to be a warehouse for the most part. But it, it puts a, a damper on on um, our way of life. And, you know, one thing I wanted to touch on, too, while we got you here, brothers, you know, looking over some of this information from the PRO Act, um, you touched on a little bit already, is the NLRA violations, um, putting fundamental principal penalties on it. But also, it's corporate officials personally liable, if I'm correct, right? Mm-hmm. I think that would, and you can speak to it a little more, but I think that would fundamentally change the mindset of these companies and these massive employers that do get in the way of doing the right things. Uh, yeah, I completely agree on both of those points. With the on the, 
Yeah, it's it, I mean the story you're telling too, uh, brother is is I mean it's she's that's true across Michigan, man. My old plant is in Mexico in Muskegon, they built filing cabinets and like by by the mid two thousands, uh, like everything was just shutting down. There was a um, the Brunswick bowling ball plant. Right? Every bowling ball made in the United States from Brunswick had been made in Muskegon for a long time. They shut that line down. They they kept the pin setter line down there, but that was you know, a thousand jobs, something like that. The sappy paper mill that had been in operation for a hundred and change years that used to employ six thousand people shut down in two thousand and nine. The the parts plants started shutting down. There's still a few out there. There's a, there's a Helmet and a Dana, I think, but there were a lot more. Um, and it went from, you know, Muskegon went from making things to to the county, uh, the largest employer in the county being the um, Mercy Health System within a, a, per- a period of a few years. And there's this misconception that hospital jobs are, are good jobs. Those those jobs there happen to be union jobs, um, but there's still a big difference between making 27, eight, 28 bucks on a, on a, you know, on the bowling ball line, right? And and making thirteen dollars an hour as a, as a, a dietary worker in a, in a hospital, um, and that that's had an impact on that community where you know they've they've it's just it's it's not the same, um, and uh, you know and and to think of th- that pattern being played out across the country um, is is terrifying, and and the pro the pro act will like help change some of those things. There's there's other additional things that need to happen. Like I was just thinking the other day, I saw the. Um, uh, the, uh, uh, my, my old, I drive a, a Ford Focus, right? I bought it when I lived in Denver, Colorado, and I live on a dirt road and, and I'm, I'm, the thing is like literally falling apart. It's an incredibly well-made car that shouldn't be driven on a dirt road with divots about that deep in it. Um, but anyway, I was thinking about that and that, you know, that car used to be made right here in, in Michigan. Um, and it's not anymore. And, and, and then just saw in the newspaper the other day that Ford is looking at moving another plant down to Mexico, one of their new plants. And, and, so, you know, and then the last, my family from East Flint, the last thing that's built there is, is it fully is the, is the trucks and, um, and, and how much physical space my, my great grandpa worked at, a, or my grandpa worked at AC Delco spark plug over on the East side of, of Flint on Davison road there. And, and like, you can go by that field. It's just a field now. Um, and man, like I could, I could hit a golf ball six times and not get across the length of that plant that's not there anymore. And I think that that whole thing was full of human beings raising families. Um, uh, and that's gone. Um, you know, and then when that stuff gets replaced, right, it gets evergreen, you know, maybe there's a new job that a new factory or something that comes in there, but they're starting from scratch. So they, they organize the union, right? They get all pumped up. Boom. We got it. Awesome. Great. Pop the champagne, right? We're, we're shooting the shotguns in the air. Uh, then you have to sit down and negotiate a contract. Um, and it just doesn't ha- like, okay, great. Six months later, you get to the bargaining table for the first time. And then, you know, uh, delay after delay, after delay, after delay, you're, you're a year and change into it. People are getting fired up because the boss is telling them we can't give you a raise, you know, because, because we haven't finished our contract yet. They start passing around the petition saying, sign this if you want, if you want better health insurance. And then the next thing you know, you're you're in the same fight that you were in a year and a half ago with whether or not people uh, people are going to want the union and and that's like that's the way the system is set up now. The Pro Act passes and that changes fundamentally. You send in a notice once you organize with the Pro Act. Ten days within ten days, they've got to sit down to the table and talk to you. Right. The only guarantee you have when you get a union for the first time is that the boss has to take you seriously and has to talk to you, right? That's the one guarantee. There's no guarantee that you're going to get X, Y, Z. Um, there's a guarantee that you're going to get a voice and that they have to talk to you about what things are like. Uh, and and the, the PRO Act guarantees that that voice happens within two weeks. So you send in your notice, boom, you're at the table, right? 90 days from that point, if you don't have a contract yet, right, 
it go they, they bring in a federal mediator to help you through that process and then if if you know you go through that another another nine months 12 months in it goes to binding arbitration there are so many cases where people join the union in this country and, and don't end up getting that first contract um, this this solves that problem immediately it makes the boss not be able to delay it makes them not you know have to take you seriously uh, and it makes them have to listen to you because they actually have a reason to do so and if they don't the things go into an arbitrator um, and so you're going to get your contract and you're going to get your you're going to get your voice your voice heard uh, and then in terms of the penalties and things like that this is the other really significant piece of the back end of this is that you know that story that i was telling before about the workers getting walked out and then you win and nothing happens in this circumstance like they would have to they could have to pay penalties on top of that so it's not just that this other worker went out of their way to get a job uh and and took all of the you know uh upended their life went to a new place that boss is going to have to pay a penalty for having to do that and if it's found that that boss like did something you know personally was personally responsible for that we can sue them for that, or that person can be sued for that. They have civil uh, civil liabilities and fines up. I think it's up to fifty thousand um, dollars that they can that they then have to pay if they're determined to be liable for that. Um, right now, like they're literally, it's like the again, it's the only thing where where if you break the law, you can't be held accountable for it. Uh, every other kind of thing that happens to you at work where they break the law, you can sue your boss for it. Um, and this is one of those things where, where, where you can't. I think the other thing that's interesting in there too is like the bosses will, will sneak in these little arbitration clauses in there that they get you to sign when they're doing your paperwork that say, okay, you sign here. You don't even notice it. It's like buried in the fine print. Uh, and it binds you to use uh, binding arbitration if something happens while you're employed rather than using collective action. And this would make those types of things illegal. So what this thing basically does is it just eliminates the boss's dirty tricks and then actually puts some some liability on them uh, so that they, number one, can't hide behind the company anymore. And number two, even the company has to actually pay up if they do something wrong. They can't just skate on it. Oh, that's fantastic. It's huge, man. And I think as far as dirty tricks go, something uh, that I think you could probably speak to really well as well is uh, in your time in organizing these things like uh, captive audience meetings. Sure. or things that make you see these anti-union um, propaganda meetings, I would rather call them in all honesty. It's a it's a drive to, to give people a misconception of what the union actually is and what it actually does. And, and what is your experience with that? I mean, have you seen that? Have you dealt with that quite a bit? Yeah, yeah. They can be very, very different. It's funny. When you're organizing a facility, if you have um, – yeah, sometimes those meetings will really backfire on the boss because you'll have people that will go in there and be like, okay, wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, we've been asking for a raise – for six months now, uh, and all we got was a, a $20 gift card uh, for, for Christmas, right? Like, we've been asking for that, and you gave us 20 bucks. You didn't ask me where to spend the 20 bucks. Suddenly, you care about how I'm spending 55 bucks a month in union dues? Like, where did this sudden interest in my family's well-being come from? So that can happen. But that's a rare thing where you've got a bunch of, uh, of, of fired up folks and they're organized and you've had the opportunity to like talk talk to people about that stuff before. Um, where it gets really, really scary is when they'll they'll pull people in one at a time and you don't know what's going on in that room. And uh, and and it's I mean, some of the uh, yeah, we don't need to get into it here, but some of the horror stories you hear from that. Uh, it's really, really scary to have a boss sit across from you from a t at a table with the door closed, looking you in the eye and saying, so I hear you don't like the way things are going around here, right? You know, what are you guys doing about it? You know, um, it's, 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 
it, there's an implicit threat in all of that because the power is on one side of the desk. Uh, and so what you see in these circumstances is you see people, um, uh, bosses using their, using their power to frighten people. Uh, and and to make it uncomfortable for them to talk to each other about things that they want to do better. But the reality, I mean, the reality is is that this isn't whether or not workers have the union is none of the boss's business, right? Um, it's 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 a choice that the workers make or don't make to have a union, and this is the boss interjecting themselves into that process. And so what the what the um, what the pro act does is it eliminates the boss from that process. I mean, first things first, you're right it makes them not a party to the election. So like if the workers want to decide whether or not they want a union, how come the person that's put them in a position where 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 these workers are saying, you know, we need a voice here because things aren't going right and, and we need we need we need someone to speak up for ourselves. Why does the boss have any say in whether or not they make that decision? Like it's it's crazy. It's the person that's put them in that position is the one that says, okay, yeah, yeah, fine, you guys can have that conversation, but you need to do it at this time, and you need to do it at this place, and you need to do it with these people present. Um, it doesn't make any sense. So it eliminates them from that process. And then it eliminates them from being able to pull people in and talk to them about it. Now, technically, it's already illegal for them to ask questions about whether or not people support the union, right? But we just talked about it. There's no, there's no, there's no fines for them or fees for them or anything if they get caught doing it. You know, I mean, like, why not do it if you can't get in trouble for it? You have to put your little I'm sorry letter up, right? Um, and acknowledge that you did something wrong. But, the, you know, at that point, the damage has been done. Uh, so those are the fundamental changes it would make. It would make those, those meetings not happen. And it would kick the boss out of the entire process so that they don't get to, they don't get to have any input in, in whether or not the people are going to join the union. The parties for that become the union, the workers themselves, right, that want the union, and the National Labor Relations Board, um, who don't have any skin in the game. Like, they don't, it doesn't matter to them whether or not, you know, the workers at Oakwood Hospital have a union. They don't care. Um, the boss does. The boss does care. And the boss is going to do whatever they can do to stop that. I, I think it's an inherently important that uh, that we talk about the fact that we want we want our communities to be healthy and vibrant, right? And a rising tide raises all boats. We want our communities healthy. And especially those folks who are serving our communities have been serving our communities during this entire pandemic. Um, our first responders um, you know, Daryl Yarger's uh, sitting in on this conversation about about that. And it, it's really important that we make sure that we want to make sure our firefighters, our law enforcement all work together. They have funding. Daryl, I don't know if you had, have any input in, in regard to that. Yeah, I think honestly, on my side of the coin, where the pro acts really going to come in, I think is going to be very beneficial on the private ambulance and how those private companies really beat up the employees. I can think of at least two different occasions where I had other friends that have worked on the private ambulance that have tried to organize and bring in a union representation and they've all ended up losing their jobs and got run out before that group of people could ever even get to the table and have that discussion with the current employees at that time. So I'm, on that side of it, I see this being very beneficial. On the fire side, you know, we've already got the IFF, which the IFF goes to bat for pretty much any unit, every unit. We're seeing actually new units and new locals come up throughout the state of Michigan. We're losing a few here and there due to the PSO system, you know, sneaking into some cities. But all, all in all, we're pretty well represented with the IFF. 
I guess kind of one of my questions will lead into all this is I thought I read somewhere in those articles and those links that got sent out to us was how's the pro act really going to influence already established units, bargaining units like mine here at local 326. Like say we have somebody that opts out and decides, you know, they still want to work for a current employer, work for, you know, our unit, but they don't want to be represented or pay union dues anymore. Uh, There's a few really, I think, critical ways that the pro act uh, impacts that that stuff that you're talking about, I think specific to to um, to publicly funded uh, first responders, there's a there's a few ways. the The first is that, like like I think you mentioned at the beginning of the call, Monroe City Monroe has a has a, uh, a one of the highest union densities in the country, about 25 percent, right? Um, even with that, Monroe has seen a net uh, a net uh, outflow of manufacturing jobs uh, in the community over the last 20 or 30 years, which has had a negative impact on um on uh on uh on overall wages there um and 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 specifically like you've seen like like the hospital there is a large employer um you know the the schools are a large employer the county's a large employer but you have a lot of employers where people are still making less money than they made before the pro act immediately by 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 giving more people access to a union across the board and in new industries uh like will immediately raise wages by a certain amount so we can basically you can do the math on it is that if union maker union workers make roughly on average 11.8 percent more per worker for doing the same amount of work that you can arc it out where over the term of a you know the first three-year contract if if the 60 million americans were to join the union tomorrow like they want to do that's going to have a really significant impact on 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 revenue uh on income tax revenue in in our municipalities and so you're going to see like immediately that money gets to get reinvested in in services that people think are critical secondly like your point about uh is well taken about um about uh private ambulance drivers emts things like that you have a situation now where where um where where you have a bifurcation in the market right where where folks that have the union make this amount and it's one of the starkest one of the starkest differences uh in terms of of wages in that you know that 11.8 percent is an average right so some people it's a little closer to you know under that number some it's, it's significantly higher right um and that's dependent on density in the industry in this particular circumstance like a lot of those private ambulance drivers are making poverty wages, which impacts the ability of, of workers that are that have the union in those places to bargain higher wages because there's this low cut cut rate alternative and you're always gonna have some you know scumbag city planner or some whoever it is that's gonna try to figure out how to carve that money out and and pay less for the product that they've got there. So by giving those folks voice to the union, you know, a, a voice and a union, they're able to raise their wages it limits the ability of, of, of other folks to undercut the, the standard that's already there. So those are our two immediate things. The third thing that you're mentioning about the, you know, the ability to carve out freeloaders from the process and, and make sure that everybody's paying their fair share is, is also really, really valid. Um, and that's the kind of thing that with a bargaining unit right now, uh, that money that, uh, that, that gets siphoned off, that kind of goes into that black hole because folks aren't paying in for what they're getting out of it, you're able to then focus that money on, uh, focus on larger program rather than just bargaining and enforcing a contract, you're able to do things, especially on the public side, uh, to increase the amount of money that's going into the system, right? So, you know, because you're able to build program out 
to broader to broader things, organize more workers, get more money into the city economy that then you can bargain for later. Um, you know, it's it's the same kind of thing where it's like we all want to be we we all know this. It's so much easier to go to the bargaining table when they're carrying a three, four, five percent operating margin than when they're in the red, right? And so that's the way that it impacts folks in that capacity. And then the PRO Act is specific to public or to private sector workers, but there is a companion piece of legislation uh, that 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 does the exact same stuff, uh, but for public sector workers, and would 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 have the same kind of the same kind of models because it, it, the way it works now in the public sector is state by state you have different laws. So in Michigan, you have the Michigan Employment Relations Commission, which has a set of standards. You know, Alabama has something that's that's totally different. California has something that's totally different and everybody in between has this little hodgepodge of stuff that's totally different and so this would that that companion piece of legislation would establish similar benchmarks for for public sector workers and allow them to be able to organize we've done a great job of that in michigan but there's always and still is room to grow and uh, i think the last piece of that is it specifically addresses public sector workers is that the pro act directly takes on like head-on um, the bane of public sector existence, like I've done this, I've, I've organized in public sector hospitals and nursing homes. They always want to outsource that stuff, right? Uh, and they want to outsource it to contractors, and those contractors are independent contractors, so they can't have the union. Um, and so what this does is, is the PRO Act takes that head on by introducing the ABC test and establishing once and for all who is and who isn't an employee. Um, and it, it like it, it it stops folks from being able to just undercut uh, or erode our bargaining units from the inside by just siphoning off and, and saying that you know oh this person doesn't really work here and and this person doesn't really work here yeah I call them every morning and tell them where to go and they don't get paid if they don't do that and they have to check in with me twice a day but they they're not technically you know that technically a city or a state or a county employee um, and so that's that's like true I mean that's true across the board you've seen I've seen so many strikes in the last two years. Where, where people have gone out onto the streets and put their own jobs like at risk and have, have done that fight specifically to make sure that other folks in their shop are treated like employees and have a pathway to sustainable careers. Um, and, and, and that's like, it it's, it's maddens me. I get so angry thinking about like, that that falls onto us as working people to have to make that change. Like we have to go out of our way to punch back and say, no, what, damn it, this person deserves a job. This isn't like they deserve benefits. They're doing the same work that I'm doing. Bring them in. They should be a union member too. And uh, and so this this takes like this takes that takes that out of the out of the question and provides the union and a voice at work to a whole separate set of workers um, that are that that are only not getting it now. Uh, as a way to weaken the power of those of us that already have the union, um, and uh, and that's a that that is another fundamental game changer. And if we don't do this, like we're all going to be on that Amazon model, man. We're going to be waiting for the text to come in to tell us that we're late and that we don't. I, guys, you've only put out three fires today. That's not enough. You know, that's like that's the place that we're headed with this. Um, and so and so like it can't be understated that those like all of these different things. They impact so many parts of, of how we work uh, that that the 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 impact of every single part of this thing, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's going to impact people that are impacted by it. It's going to impact people that maybe aren't going to be directly impacted by it, but there's a trickle on effect from this stuff, um, and uh, and. You know that's why the, that's why I say this thing is transformational. It's not just like it's not just changing the rules. It's busting the whole damn system and creating something better. So one question I would have for you, brother. My last question um, as an organizer, you know, what would 
what would your advice be to somebody that's in that best plant, Alabama and Amazon going through this or, or somebody that's looking to do it moving forward? What would your advice to them be? I think the first thing is, is that the, my first advice would be know you know what you're worth. Like no matter what anybody tells you, no matter what Amazon tells you, no matter what, um, no matter what, you know, Jeff Bezos thinks about you know what you're worth and, and never, never compromise on that. Um, every, every, every job that somebody does is, is time that they could spend doing something else. And every single job has value. Every job has dignity. And every person who does work deserves dignity. And that's something that Amazon wants to convince people that, that you know, right now that they don't, that they don't have that. They're not worth that. They're not worth, they're not worth having a voice because it's easier for them to be able to move them around if that's the case. So my advice to them would be just recognize what you're worth, recognize that there's dignity in what you do no matter what, and don't be afraid of, of, of whatever the boss is going to do to you because the reality is, is that, is that, um, you know, you might, you know, like you don't change things overnight. Um, but you do change things when you get a whole bunch of people that are angry about the same thing and that have identified a common solution to it. Um, and so the, the thing that I think is most important for those workers and for anybody who wants to form a union now is just be proud of, be proud of the work that you do and recognize that nothing happens without you doing that work. And that, that just the fact that you do that work is that comes with dignity, that comes with respect and, and you're worth that. Um, and then the other thing I guess I would say to those folks is that um, is that uh, is that they should be mad, like very, very mad. Uh, their boss has 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 profited what seventy two billion dollars during the pandemic. Um, and they have gone out of their way to like I, I remember like back in March and April, uh, all of the all of the like Amazon trucks suddenly I don't get a lot of traffic on my road man dirt road it's crappy people drive around it whenever they have a chance to, to drive around it and you know I don't have that many neighbors right um, I would start seeing three four or five Amazon trucks a day coming down my street uh, and so the thing that I think is really really critical is that um, you being essential to this economy doesn't just stop with a pandemic you were essential before it you were essential during it uh, uh, and your essential going out of it. What what is true is that what became really apparent to everybody is that folks were also expendable during the uh, during the uh, during the pandemic, and and that the only way that that's ever going to change is by you, your coworkers, uh, standing together and actually making that change. Um, so not only do you deserve what what you want um, because you have dignity in the work that you're doing, um, but you should be really really ticked off. That you have to take it. That's that's wrong. That's that's absolutely wrong. Um, and I'd say God bless them for the courage that they're showing uh, to stand up uh, to you know to the to the uh, to the to the evil empire there. Um, I mean, it's like it's and and the, I guess the last thing is this is just coming from somebody in Michigan, right? Um, is that uh, is that you know you can change the world and win by taking on the largest corporation in the world? Like it happened in, in Michigan, in Flint, Michigan, in Pontiac, Michigan, in Detroit, Michigan, in 1937. Uh, it happened again in 1941, uh, and the country changed. The country fundamentally changed when we won those strikes and when we got recognition in Michigan. Like like it, there are. You know, you'll start seeing this with the Pro Act, right? There's going to be pie charts going everywhere that are going to show these lines that show 
when, when, when we had the union, we had this much money. Now we have this much money, right? That all started right around 1937, 1938, 1939, when we beat the biggest corporation in the world. We're fighting them again. Uh, and I think that the difference now that, that, that we have similar to then uh, and that we haven't had in that meantime is that we have all of this momentum on our side. So, so not only are they doing something incredible down there, and not only are there anybody who's standing up for their boss, not just in Alabama, but like this whole wave of activism a- across the country, is that you're creating, you're creating the wave of change that's going to fundamentally do something for the next two, three, four generations. Um, I'm, still, I'm still riding those coattails. I, I barely got a grip on them, man. There's like, there ain't a lot of work left in Flint, Michigan, right? But the work that's left in Flint, Michigan is there's still good work here. And and like because my grandfather and great grandfather set that tone, we got the we got those crumbs that are still coming down from from off of that table. Um, but now, right now, for the first time in my life, we got the opportunity to do the same thing that they did, and then set the table for the next three, four generations to come. Um, and I actually think it's not a, an opportunity for for us; it's an obligation because we got it right. We're all privileged, man. We got the good job, you know. We we got it, and other people fought for it. Um, but it's our turn to pay it forward and, and to do that. Um, and and like the reality is, I think we're going to win. I, I know that it's a tricky a tricky path uh, to get there. You know, it's like everybody wants to count votes in the Senate. And uh, and all that jazz, and I don't. We need to do that, sure, but it does. Like fundamentally, it doesn't matter. This will change because working people in this country are going to demand it. They're going to make sure that everybody knows that the the biggest problem in this country is income inequality, racial injustice, gender injustice, and that the Pro Act is a solution for that. And it's the only damn solution for that. It's the only thing that fixes those problems. Um, and I think people are getting there. Uh, and so what I see happening in this country over the next 12, 14 months, if the labor movement can mobilize across the board, not just supporting workers like those ones in Alabama, but everywhere that they're organizing and making sure that people know that the union is the answer in this country, is that we can make it so that there's no way around it. And we don't have to get to 60 votes, right? That nothing in this country will happen unless, unless this changes and we, and we fundamentally change the balance of power between working people and corporations in this country. And the PRO Act is the only way to do that. It's literally the only way to do that. And, and you know what the alternative is going to be if we don't do this? Is it's going to get bad and we're going we're gonna to start seeing that same stuff. Like, like in 1937, it was illegal to go on strike, right? Um, and, so, uh, and so that's what we're going to see, that level of, that level of, of frustration. Uh, and we're headed there. I mean, we've already seen it, right? Um, so I guess, I don't know. They probably wouldn't listen to me if I talked to them for that long. So I apologize for that. But, uh, but that's, that's what I would say. Like, they're a part of something that goes, it, I'm proud of what they're doing. But man, they're also a part of, they're a part of something that goes way beyond just Bessemer, Alabama. And, and, and goes way beyond, you know, our Teamster brothers that are on strike for 337 at the 7-Up plant right up uh, down the street here. It's like, you're a part of something bigger and, and you're building something bigger. And we're all in debt to you for doing that. And it's up to us as the rest of the labor movement to figure out how to, how to take this thing to the next level and use that level of activism to make wholesale change in this country. All right, Brother Stephen Cousins joining us today. I just wanted to thank you for taking the time to talk to us about the PRO Act and uh, educating us on what is going on around the country and uh, your experience in that uh, in that arena. So, um, Chris, Daryl, uh, any parting words before we uh, close this program out? Yeah, I just, I just want to thank Brother Cousins for coming down, man. Thanks for sharing your experiences, and uh, we look forward to talking with you again soon, man.
thank you very much for joining us. Do appreciate it. Thanks, guys. No, I appreciate you guys for having me. And next time, if we do this again, uh, post COVID, man, we can we do it in person at that bar in Luna Pier where they have that turtle soup, man. You know, there's only two <laughs> bars, two bars in, in the state of Michigan that have turtle soup, and one of them's in Luna Pier. I'm just saying. Absolutely, brother. All right. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate you. Yep. Absolutely. Have a good day. You too. Cheers.